all of us are broken, damaged, and dysfunctional in certain ways. We all have a damaged soul. The sooner we realize and acknowledge this, the quicker we can enter into a process that will lead to a life that really works. This message is the fourth in the series, A Life That Works. The message is entitled, Healthy Ways to Handle Hurts, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs chapter nine. Proverbs chapter nine, as we turn our attention together to God's word, a series of messages called A Life That Works. I wanna talk to you this weekend, uh, the second part of the message that I started last weekend of healthy ways to handle hurts in your life. Healthy ways to handle hurts. What do you want from the things that you count on every day in your life? Your automobile, relationships of your life, things that you count on daily, one of the things that's important is reliability. You want to make sure that they work. You know, that they work and they work the way that they're supposed to. And so when we buy things and build things, we buy and build them for the sake of reliability. We want them to work. And God designed your life and my life to work. But sadly, because of the sin in our lives, because of the mistakes that we make along the way, because of a lack of real wisdom on our parts at times, we don't always have a life that works. Sometimes our life is a bit or sometimes a whole lot dysfunctional. Amen? Sometimes it's just not working the way it needs to work. And so we have to ask ourselves the question and seek the answer, how do I make my life work? How does life work best? And the way that life works best is when we obey the instructions of our Creator. When you and I learn what God says about life and how to live life God's way, then life begins to work the way it's designed to work because God made us, God created us, and God designed us to operate a certain way according to the laws and principles that He's given to us in His Word. In Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1, we find some words of instruction to us along these lines. The Bible says, Wisdom has built a palace supported on seven pillars, and has prepared a great banquet, and has mixed the wines, and sent out her maidens, invited all to come. She calls from the busiest intersections in the city. Let me stop for a moment and help you to see what this passage is talking about. Here, wisdom is presented to us as a palace, as a house that's supported on seven pillars. Every house will have footings. Every house will have foundations that it sits upon. And so for a house or a palace to sit firmly, there has to be some pillars, some supporting things that hold it up. And here the Bible says of the palace called wisdom, there are seven pillars, seven not necessarily meaning one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but seven meaning completeness or wholeness, for that's the number of completeness in the Bible. So there's a complete sense of things that hold your life up and you have to build your life on. And this palace called wisdom is sending out a message. It's calling out to the busiest places of life. And notice the call that's being issued. Verse number four, come you simple ones without good judgment. Come to wisdom's banquet and drink the wines that I have mixed. Read verse six together with me. Let's all read it together. All of our campuses read with me. Leave behind your foolishness and begin to live. Learn how to be wise. Say that last phrase with me again. Learn how to be wise. Let me see if I can maybe paraphrase that for us. Learn how God wants life to work. Learn how to make your work life work God's way. And so learn how to move from foolishness to wisdom, from dysfunction to functionality. And the Bible is teaching us here that wise people build their lives on the right foundation. 
And just because you built your life on a good foundation two years ago doesn't mean that you're on the same foundation today. So it's something you and I have to think about all the time in life. Are we on the right foundation? Are we building on the right substrata of life? Now, we talked last week about the fact that for your life and my life to be everything that it needs to be, we need to learn to address pain in our life. Because you can't have a life that works if you're living with pain on the inside, soul pain. So we talked about last week the importance of recognizing that pain in your life, the value of doing that, and we also talked about how we begin to accept personal responsibility for healing that in our life with God's help and God's grace. We have to look on the inside because if you're hurting in here, it's going to affect you out there. It's going to affect you in every relationship of your life, everything that you do, whatever's going on in here spills over to the people around you. So hurt people hurt people. Dysfunctional people on the inside have a dysfunction in the world around them. And so we want to get well. We want to be whole. And to do that, you have to recognize the pain points in your soul. We talked quite a bit about that last weekend. If you missed that teaching, let me encourage you to go online and listen to it again. Uh, In fact, if you heard it last week, I would encourage you to, again, go back and review it. Very important truths that I share with you. And then talking about accepting personal responsibility for healing, not blaming your life circumstances on someone else, but accepting the fact that with God's grace and power, I am going to move ahead. I'm not, not going to remain the person I am. I'm moving forward in God's grace to become a better person. Amen? I'm not who I used to be, and I'm not who I'm going to be, but I'm on the way to becoming a better person in my life. And so that's what soul healing is all about. Now, Today I want to talk about two more things when it comes to soul healing in your life and the value of this because, again, if your life is broken internally, it's not going to work externally. If you don't have everything right in here as much as possible, it's not going to work the right way out here. Let me share with you two more things this weekend. The The first thing I want to encourage you about this weekend is to practice healthy soul habits. To practice healthy soul habits. Once you begin to see where you are in terms of pain in your soul, and again, I don't have time this weekend to talk more about that. Go back and review the message from last weekend. But once you begin to recognize the things, the baggage you're carrying around with you, and you begin to accept responsibility for healing it, then to move forward for your future so that you're healthier on the inside, you have to begin to practice some habits, what we'll call healthy soul habits. Say that phrase with me. Healthy soul habits. Just like they're healthy body habits, physical body habits that you do, what you eat, the exercise you engage in, those kinds of things. There are also habits that are healthy for your soul and habits that are unhealthy for your soul. Well, I'm not going to talk about the ones that are unhealthy. I'm going to talk about the ones that are healthy. So what are the habits that will help you to build a good soul, a strong soul? Notice 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. Notice what the, the Apostle John said. Beloved, that's you and me because you're loved by God. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul what? prospers. You know, the best prosperity you will ever experience is the prosperity of your soul. The Bible says that when your soul is prospering, it brings prosperity to the other parts of your life. And so he says, I am praying that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I've watched people go through all kinds of things in life, and I will tell you, it's a lot better to go through them with a healthy soul than with an unhealthy soul. You can go through all kinds of things in life if your soul is healthy. 
If you're healthy on the inside, there's something that carries you through the most challenging circumstances of life. You'll get through on the other side, and you'll be a better person because of it. And so uh, John says, I'm praying that you'll prosper and be in health even as your soul is prospering or your soul is healthy. So here is the important question this weekend. What habits will create a prosperous, whole, healthy soul? I'm going to share with you six habits from my own life that I've learned over the years, and I'm sure that many of you could echo these six things I'm going to share with you tonight. These are the things that will help your soul to get healthy and that will keep your soul healthy. Number one is prayer. I will tell you that if you don't learn to pray, you're going to have an unhealthy soul because your soul is not designed to carry all the burdens and weights that life will bring your way. Every day that you and I live, there's stuff happening around us and stuff happening to us. Amen? Every day of your life, there are things that will disappoint you. Every day of your life, there are burdens that will come your way. And if you and I don't know how to go to God, and we don't regularly go to God to unburden the soul, the pressures of our soul, what happens is you begin to build that residual conflict and pressure up on the inside and it weighs you down it destroys you internally and so while prayer is a lot of things one thing that prayer is also it's a way that you can unburden your soul to the heavenly father who loves and cares about you so you come to God and say God I want to give you my soul. I want to talk to you from the places of my heart that are the deepest places of my being. And one of the wonderful things about God is God is, an, 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 is a wonderful listener. That He will listen to you, unburden your soul. There are a lot of people that will grow very impatient with you when you try to talk to them about your problems. But God never grows impatient. He's always willing to listen. And he says, tell me from the depths of your heart those things that are burdening you and let let your soul be unburdened in my presence, God says. So prayer is a key ingredient. You need to have it as a regular part of your life. Not just because you got to pray, but the beautiful thing is you get to pray. Amen? I don't got to pray. I get to pray. It's my privilege to be able to go to God in prayer. Number two, you need to build a habit pattern of biblical meditation. And notice I said biblical meditation. Listen closely. There's a lot of meditation that's spoken of in the world today that is not biblical. A lot of things that are that are based in Eastern mysticism and based in a lot of false religions and there's a lot of spirituality in our world today. A lot of people like to talk about being spiritual. But dear ones, please understand something. There's something different uh, than being... There's a difference between being spiritual and being biblically spiritual. Because spirituality oftentimes is based upon the philosophies of man, the ideas of man, but true spirituality is based in this, thing, this book called the Bible, God's Word. And in the Bible, there's a pattern for being able to meditate upon the things of God. And here's the way you meditate. The primary way that the Bible teaches us to meditate is to think about, meditate on the Word of God. That you get a scripture verse and you begin to think about that scripture verse. What I will often do is, as I'm studying in my devotional times is I will find a particular passage, a section 
this past week. I've been meditating on Acts chapter 12 and just different things about that. And so as I go through my day, I come back to that passage, I think about it. And, and weeks will go, there might be one verse or several chapters that will be on my mind. But I keep revisiting it day in and day out, thinking about what, what's the application? Lord, what are you trying to say to me through this passage? What can I learn from this that has meaning to my life? And so the actual meaning of the word meditation is to mull over, to think about, to chew on, to let it get down into your system. And some of the most precious times you will ever have that, that will set your soul free is to, get, to let the Word of God get into you by meditating upon it regularly. So prayer builds your soul. It makes it healthy. Biblical meditation builds up your soul. It keeps it healthy. Number three, you might be surprised at this, but solitude. Everybody needs some solitude in your life. Amen? You have to have some quiet times in your life. You have to have some times that you are alone with God. You're alone in reflection upon where your life is. Times when the busyness and the chatter goes away. The world that we live in today is a world that is based upon busyness. If you ask anyone, how you doing? The response says, I'm busy. Everybody's busy, and indeed, there's a busyness to our world, and certainly at some levels, an appropriate busyness to our world. But what happens is, in the midst of our busyness, we never pull away to quiet our soul in the presence of God, and there's always chatter going on around us. I mean, I pulled up to the, to the uh, service station the other day to get some gas in my, my automobile. And when I pulled up, got out, reached for the pump, there was a television set at my gas pump, okay? I'm thinking, do we really have to have that here, okay? Everywhere you turn, there are people talking to you. And the ding going off on your cell phone and all the messages that come your way and the text messages and the emails that come your way. And so we live in this world where 24-7 there are voices coming in our direction. And what happens, your soul gets, gets, gets tired and weary on the inside. You need a break from all that. There are times you need to pull away and say, I just need some solitude in my life. And I would encourage you to begin to practice that, to find some time in your day or certainly some time in your week that you pull aside and you shut everything off. You say, God, I'm just here with you. You say, what do you do in solitude? Just shut up. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have to do anything. You just sit there. It's amazing what happens when you just sit and everything's shut down. And you just sit there and you just say, you know what? I'm not going to let any other voices speak in my life. I'm just going to be still and know that he is God. Number four, relationships. If your soul is going to be right and healthy, you have to have the right relationships in your life. Sounds contradictory a bit because I just told you to get alone. Now I'm telling you to hang out with people. Everything in life is a balance, isn't it? If you spend all your time alone, you're unhealthy. If you spend all your time with people, you're unhealthy. There's a balance to your life of saying there's some time I need to be alone. There's also time that I need to be with people. Listen closely, a very important caveat here. As long as it's the right people. Your soul will never get healthy hanging out with the wrong people. And that's a choice that only you can make in your life. Sometimes you have to make decisions in the relationships of your life to realize this person is not good for my soul. 
when I hang around this person, I find that things get into my soul that shouldn't be there. My soul gets agitated. My soul picks up on gossip. My soul attracts things that should not be attracted to my life because I'm with this person. And so sometimes you have to make some tough decisions about relationships in your life. But let me tell you something. It's worth it to make the right decision because your health depends upon it. May you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So your soul prosperity is key to very, very many of the areas of your life. Number five, the fifth thing that's extremely important to keep your soul healthy is what I would call here tears and laughter. You say, well, wow, why didn't you just say laughter? Because if you have only laughter in your life, you'll not have a rich soul. Some of the people that I've learned to appreciate and love over the years are people who have walked through some sorrows in life. They've walked through them some times of challenges and they've gone through them the right way and there's, they've shed some tears along the way. And because they've shed some tears along the way, there's a depth to their soul. There's something about them that's connected with God at a new level. So never curse your tears. In fact, if you haven't shed some tears in a while, it might be a good thing to say, I need to get along with God and ask God to, to sort of help me to wash out my system once again because tears are good for your system. Not just a depressive kind of tear, but a tear that draws you in a sense of awareness of your need for God, your trust in Him, your dependence upon Him, and just walking through and processing through the pains of life. Sometimes life is hard and sometimes life will make you cry. And don't curse the tears because the, the tears, if you handle them the right way, can enrich in your life. It can create a fertilizer to your soul that makes you a rich person to be around. But don't cry all the time. You need to laugh too. You know what happens with a lot of Christians? They are the, they're like, they've been baptized in pickle juice. I mean, they're just like the sourest people in the world, okay? And so you get around them and there's like, there's just like this gloom about them, okay? Like... Oh, everything's terrible. The world's horrible. Well, yeah, we know that, but let's have a little bit of joy while we're here, okay? Jesus is coming back again. Praise God, okay? God's still on His throne. Hallelujah. Okay, amen? Is He still on His throne? Is He still ruling and reigning? You think God's up in heaven all fretting about everything right now? Oh, I don't know what to do with that world down there. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? No, God is a God of joy. God is a God that has everything under control. And so there are times you and I just need to lighten up a little bit. You need to step back and say, you know what? Yes, there's some stuff that, we, that trouble us. There's some things in the world that, that, that weigh us down. But we're going to step back and, and find our joy in the Lord. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said, I'm going to say this twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I think I need to say it again. And again, I say rejoice. So let joy be in your life. The, the last one I'll mention here is recreation. Now, I'm going to actually spend a whole, uh, a whole weekend on this one thing as a part of this series. I'm going to talk one whole weekend on recreation. You really want to be here for that weekend, right? Let me talk to you just briefly for a moment about recreation. There's a difference between recreation and amusement. There's a difference between recreation and entertainment. Most of our culture is geared toward amusement and entertainment. That's what 
movies do. They amuse you. They entertain you. That's what a lot of music does. It's geared to amuse you or entertain you. And amusement and entertainment will not refresh you. It will not recreate you, okay? Recreation, certain kinds of music and movies and those kind of things will not. They're entertainment. Nothing wrong with entertainment. But what I'm trying to say is you need to have something in your life that brings about a recreation. Here's the definition of recreation. I'm going to give it to you straight from the dictionary. Are you ready for this? Here it goes. It's refreshment of strength and spirits after work. The refreshment of your strength, the refreshment of your spirit after you've done work. So reality is, if you ain't working, you don't need any recreation, okay? So the beginning point for recreation, you have to do some work, right? Because recreation is what happens after you've put in that work. Here's an ongoing definition of the word. Activity that refreshes and recreates. The act of creating anew, something created anew, activity for restoration and recovery. And so there need, needs to be something in your life that you can do. It might be a hobby. It might be something that you learn that's really re recreational for you. But it's not something that just entertains you or amuses you. It has the impact of refreshing you after you've put in labor. And again, I'm going to give you a whole weekend on that topic alone. Now, the Bible gives us a very important pattern for soul restoration. Psalm 23. Let me read this for you. You know it well. I'm going to talk quickly about it. Then we'll go to our next, uh, next point. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes. This translation says refreshes. We perhaps know it better. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to give you a quick five-point mini-sermon right here. You ready for this? You will never be able to write this down. I'm going to go so fast, all right? But one day I'm going to teach on this, this passage, but there are five things that will restore your soul here. You've got to know the Lord. You've got to know God as your shepherd. If you've got another shepherd, you'll never be restored. By the way, people have lots of different shepherds in their life. You need to have the Lord as your shepherd. Number two, you've got to receive His resources. Makes you lie down, green pastures, lead you by still waters. You're not drinking in, eating of the resources of God, your soul will never be restored. You've got to live His way. He caused me to walk in paths of righteousness for His namesake. So you've got to live God's way if you expect your soul to be healthy. You've got to lean into His presence. Even though I walk into the, in the valley of shadow of the death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. So you lean in to the presence of God. That restores your soul. And then you look forward with hope and faith. The Scripture says that, that you prepare a table before me and the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what that means? My future is better than my past. Okay? What I look forward to is better than what I have in my life where I've been because I'm looking forward to the goodness and love of God following me all the days of my life. And here's the end result. I am going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't get any better than that, okay? It doesn't get any better than that. So you've got to do the things that maintain your soul health, okay? Number two tonight, this weekend I should say. 
Transform your past pain into a personal ministry. This is how your soul, this is what you do, how you handle hurt the right way. You identify the hurt in your soul. You accept responsibility for your healing. You don't blame other people. You say, what do I need to do to get well? Now that I'm getting well, I'm going to now learn the habits that will make my soul healthy. And then also, I'm going to transform my past soul pain that's been healed into a personal ministry. Would you say the phrase with me, personal ministry? I'm going to define that for you in a moment. No one can help a person in pain like someone who has been where they are now. No one can help another person that's in pain right now better than a person who has been where they are right now. What I'm saying is, don't you waste your pain. If you're going through pain, then get something out of it that somebody else can benefit from down the road. Whatever pain you've experienced in life, if you process that pain in a healthy way, it can lead you into an incredible personal ministry. Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the message paraphrase. Why don't we read this together? All the campuses, let's read aloud and loudly. Here we go. All praise to God and Father of our Master Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Isn't that beautiful? See, God says when you go through hard times, I want you to learn, as I just talked about, to lean into me and let me do a work in you so that when you come out of it, I can bring other people who are going through what you just went through alongside you so you can help them process things the right way in their lives. In other words, I'm calling you through your pain, through your healed pain, into personal ministry. Now, let me define what a personal ministry is before you get all kind of starry-eyed about personal ministry. A lot of people say, oh, I'm called to the ministry. Wow, amazing. Where's my van? I'm going to travel the country. No, personal ministry is for every Christian. Every Christian has a personal ministry. You are a minister of God. If, you're, if, you're a, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're called to be a minister. You may be working in, in, in some other environment, but wherever you are, you're called to be a minister and ambassador of Jesus Christ. And a personal ministry is a, simply means this. I mean, God, God wants to give you personal opportunities to minister to, and the word minister just means to serve or to help. God wants to give you personal opportunities to minister to, serve other people. That sounds good, doesn't it? That you and you and you and you and you and all of us here, all of us at all of our campuses, God says, I have ministry opportunities that I want to give you that are uniquely designed for you. I want to use you to help somebody else. And most of our lives, we get caught up in being helped, but God's saying, I want to use you to help somebody else. So how do you transform your pain, your past pain, into a personal ministry? Let me share with you nine things that are necessary for this, and then we'll conclude tonight 
this weekend for our time of communion, all right? It's nine things. Number one, you have to get healthy. Don't try to heal other people if you're sick. If you've got a cold, don't sneeze on me, okay? Get your cold healed, and then you can help me with my cold, okay? But the point is, if you're sick, don't try to fix somebody else. Now, let me also give you another sort of balance point. Don't think that you have to be perfect to help somebody else either. Because if you're never going to be perfect enough to help everybody. Because there's always going to be some dysfunction in all of our lives. So what I'm saying, if you're really, really down into the muck and mire of some kind of soul pain in your own life, what you need to focus on right now is getting healed yourself. When you get healed, then you'll be able to help others. Now, when you start helping, doesn't mean that you're completely whole. It just means we're on the, in the process. You're getting stronger. I love the story of Peter's uh, mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1. We're not going to turn there, but it's a great story where uh, Peter uh, asked Jesus to come into the house of his mother-in-law, and she's there. It was Peter's house, I believe it was, and his mother-in-law was there, and she was sick. And the Bible says that Jesus spoke healing to Peter's mother-in-law, and the Scripture says that then she immediately got up and started serving people. So when you get well, you can start serving. Amen? And so you get healthy. Number two, record the lessons that you learned in the healing process. This is important. As you're working through pain in your life, I, I highly recommend, I'm a big believer in journaling. You say, well, I'm not a journaler. Well, just start trying. It's, just, it's not that complicated. Just write down things you're learning. Write down things that you're getting from God as you're going through your personal processes of, of healing in your life. And take, make a journal out of it. You say, well, I, I, what is a journal? Well, just buy a, a composition notebook from, from Walmart or Target somewhere. It's not, it doesn't have to be anything complicated or, or super special, but just a place where you can write down the things that you're going through and especially the lessons that you're learning because that will be very helpful when you meet another person who's going through stuff that you've gone through. You can flip back and say, wow, that was that thing that I learned there and you have something that helps you to know how to help them. And so record the lessons that you learn in the healing process. Number three, be willing to let God use you to help other people. Circle the word willing on your notes, okay? You can get healthy and you can even record the lessons that you've learned in the healing process, but still not be willing to let God use you. There are a lot of people who are getting well, but they don't want to be used. Just want to, they just want to be well. Fix me, God, and then leave me alone. No, I'm serious. That's the way a lot of people live their lives. God, take care of me, but don't ask me to do anything else after I get well, because really, don't you know, God, it's all about me. Don't you know, God, it's all about me feeling better. And my whole goal in life, God, is to feel better. So, God, make me feel better. And when I feel better, then just leave me alone, God, because now I'm better. But God says, no, I make you better because then I want you to be willing. Key word there, willing. Willingness says that you are saying to God, God, I'm going to volunteer. God's army is a volunteer army. God doesn't force anybody to be used by Him or to serve Him. If you're going to serve God, you've got to step up and say, God, I sign up. I'm willing. I want you to use me. So God is not going to pull you into stuff unless you're willing to volunteer for it. And so God says, will you be willing? And so I would encourage you to say to God, God, I am willing to be used by you to help other people. Read number four there with me on your notes. Let's all read together. Ask God to bring people along your path that you can help. So once you said, God, I'm willing for you to use me to help somebody else, then you begin to pray, God, bring people along my pathway, God, that you want me to help. Now, you cannot be a helper to the whole world. You got that? 
You cannot fix everybody. But you can help somebody. And God never told you to fix everybody or to help everybody. God simply wants to give you people that are assigned to you to help. And so you have to pray that prayer. God, bring the people into my life. Not everybody is my assignment that I meet that has a trouble or a problem. But there are ones that, I, that God will bring into your life that He wants you to help and bring along that journey. And then number five, be available. Read it with me. Be available to engage when God answers. Here's the key. When God brings that person along, you have to be willing to circle the word, engage. Because sometimes God will bring somebody along and say, well, not them, God. I'm willing, God, to be used by you, but not them. Anybody but them. Okay. I don't want them. Please assign them to somebody else. Okay. But God said, no, I brought them to you. But you have to be willing then to engage in the people that God brings your way. What that's going to always require, listen closely. Don't, you get, don't get misty-eyed about this or, 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 or mystical, I should say, about this. But every time God asks you to help somebody, it will mo- almost always involve some kind of sacrifice on your part, some kind of stretching on your part. It is not easy to help other people. It's going to stretch you in new ways. But the good thing about stretching is when you reach out and you're stretched out to help somebody else, the good news is that when you're being stretched and helping them, God's making you bigger. See, anytime God stretches you, you never go back to the same size again. And so it might hurt a little bit, it might require some sacrifice, but God's using that to make your life bigger than it was before. He's making you a bigger, better believer, if you will. He's making you stronger in the purposes of God. And so will it hurt some? Yes. It is not easy to engage, but you step in and say, yeah, I'm going to make some sacrifice. Because if you're helping somebody, it's probably going to take some time, right? It's going to require some, something of you to help them, but that stretching will bring benefit to you. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, you know that story, right? Here's this guy laying by the side of the road, and the the priests come along, and they say, well, God bless you. I don't really like what you look like. I'm not going to engage with you. But the Samaritan comes along. What's the difference in the Levites and the Samaritan? The Levite, the, the Samaritan saw the opportunity as an assignment from God, and he engaged. He actually went over and engaged the process. That's what we must do as well if we're going to be used by God. Number six, be a true helper. Don't just commiserate, but work to liberate. You know, it's okay to feel sympathy for people. I think that's the beginning point of, of helping someone. If you don't feel sympathy empathy for them, you can't help them, right? That's, that's an expression of love. It's called compassion. But if all you feel is sympathy for them, then before long, you'll be crying right along with them, okay? And they start telling you their problems, you're like, oh, yeah, that is horrible, okay? I don't think there's any hope for you, okay? In fact, I'm depressed now, okay? Because you now have moved beyond the thought of helping. All you're doing is commiserating before long, we've got to send a whole army to help both of you, okay? And so you've got to move beyond just commiserating to say, you know what, I'm not here just to commiserate. To just show, I'm here to liberate, amen? 
that Jesus has liberated me, and because I have been freed by Jesus, I, I want to help you find freedom in your life. And the best way to help somebody find freedom is to help them graciously understand truth. Because when you know the truth, what will the truth do for you? Set you free. Now, I'm not saying get your Bible and it says, well, the pastor told me to tell you the truth. Here you go. And just give it all one dose to them, okay? But I'm saying to you, you need to have a Bible, but you, you can't help anyone unless you know this Bible, okay? This Bible is your instruction manual. It's your ability to help somebody else. And so you work them toward, it's called discipleship. How do I get into the Word of God? How do I learn how this applies to my life? And so be a true helper. Don't just commiserate, but work to liberate. Number seven, read with me. Know your, come on, read this one together. Know your, and circle two words there. What, what do you think the two words are? You guys are really brilliant. You're amazing. Limitations and boundaries. You know what? When you help people, you have some limitations. Number one, you're not God. You can't fix everybody. Don't try to play God in somebody's life. You can't be God to somebody. You can't fix everybody. You can do your best. You can offer them the help that you can help them. But don't you try to play God. That's, you're, you're, that's, you're limited. You're not God, okay? And you're also limited. You'll, you'll find people at times that will need help that will go beyond what you're able to provide for them. And so sometimes you have to refer people to people that can help them further down the pathway than you'll be able to help them. But you have to know something about your limitations and you also need to know something about your, what was the other word? Boundaries. Because when you're helping people, especially that are hurting, what happens is they will have a tendency oftentimes to invade the boundaries of your life. And so you have to learn how to establish right boundaries in your life because if somebody sucks the life out of you, what do you, don't, what do you not have anymore? Life, okay? And so if you let somebody suck the life out of you because you're trying to be a helper to them, then at some point in time, you're not going to have any life to give. And so I'm not saying that you just pour out all of your energy on someone. You have to set boundaries and limitations, but also let God stretch you. It's a tension that you have to learn how to maintain in your life. Now, Bray, I've got two more here uh, that we'll share together. Number eight, read with me. Pray for the people God sends your way. Uh, that's part of your ministry to them, to not just talk to them, but to pray for them. One of the greatest ways to help people is to pray for them. And the last one, let's read this one together. Be grateful for the grace of God that redeems past pain into present ministry. Let me just wrap up by saying this. I told you that recently I've been reading uh, Acts chapter 12. Well, the reason that I'm in Acts chapter 12 in my devotions is because I'm in the book of Acts. In my devotional times, personal devotional reading right now is the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, there's an amazing story of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. You remember him in the Bible? Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the church. And, of course, the story of Acts chapter 9 is Saul is going to Damascus to persecute Christians on the road to Damascus. And uh, God strikes him down. Jesus reveals himself to him there. And, and, and Saul of Tarsus submits himself to Jesus okay, at that point. But there's something that happens in that story you need to remember. When Saul is stricken, down, stricken and knocked down on that road to Damascus, he's blinded for a period of time. Remember that part of the story? Okay. He's blinded. And he can't see. He's met Jesus, but he still can't see. Okay. And God speaks to another person by the name of Ananias. Anybody read that story before? Okay. And God says, Ananias, I want you to go and pray for your brother now, 
Saul of Tarsus, that his sight might return. Now, that was one of those moments that Ananias said, God, would you please send somebody else? Because I've heard about this guy. He's killing Christians. I'm not exactly up for dying today. I don't think you're talking to me, God. Talk to somebody else. I don't want to go. I don't want to be the helper to this guy. But Ananias doesn't respond. Ananias, after his initial sort of resistance, trying to figure out what's going on here, he eventually says yes to God, and he goes to the person who's going to become the Apostle Paul, but he's blind. He knows Jesus, but he's blind. You know, there are people that know Jesus, but they're still blind, okay? There are people that know Jesus, but they still can't see very clearly. They've met Jesus, but they're still confused. They met Jesus, but they haven't quite learned the way of walking out the truth of their life in God's Word. And so, do they know Jesus? Did Saul know Jesus? Yes, he knew Jesus, but he was still blind. He needed somebody to come and help him. And God sent Ananias, and Ananias went and prayed for him. And in that prayer that Ananias prayed, two things happened at least. One, his, his sight returned, and he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So God used a believer by the name of Ananias that we know very little about to help us Saul of Tarsus become the Apostle Paul. And dear ones, let me tell you this as I'm wrapping up. You will never know when you're willing to help someone. You may help someone who is really broken and blind and has a bad reputation. But when you pour into them and pray for them and help them, you never know what they can become in God, okay? And Ananias, because he prayed. Because Ananias prayed and did what God asked him. Ananias became the helper to a man that became the Apostle Paul. What a wonderful thing if all of us poured into somebody else like that and made a difference in their lives. Because as God heals your pain, He wants to use you to be a healer to the people around you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We're so grateful for the opportunity we have this weekend to study together. Thank You for, Lord, as You move us through our pain, that You bring us to places of personal ministry. And I pray for each one of us that we would embrace that, that we would willingly step up and say, God, we want to be used by You to make a difference in the lives of those around, around us. Seal this word in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit, for that we thank you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. 
and then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.